Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. It is October 1st. We are starting a brand new series today titled Assurance. And I want to start by reading one scripture in Romans chapter 8 and verse 16. Romans chapter 8 verse 16, you know, I can tell you that there were many seasons, I guess we could really say many years, that I didn't have this that we're going to talk about this month, this assurance, a consistent and steady assurance. I can tell you that God's plan and purpose and His high calling for your life will remain on hold until this issue becomes settled for you. This is a must for us. This is a must for us in getting it settled and clear individually. And I am trusting that the Holy Spirit through this series and through the use of Scripture we'll begin to work in all of our lives to make sure we come to this point of wrestling and and getting clear on the issue of assurance. But in Romans 8 and 16, Paul the Apostle, his great, great, amazing letter to the church in Rome says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. I want to teach today a message titled Inside Out, Outside In. Inside Out, Outside In. Let me pray. Father, I thank you that Jesus is Lord. I thank you that the Lordship of Jesus is is enforced by the ministry of the Holy Spirit here in this gathering, that this is the church of Jesus Christ and that you are present among us, that you're in our midst and we Hallow your great name, Almighty God. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would make much of Jesus, that you would penetrate hearts and minds, that you, the God of light, would shine into each of us, expelling darkness and deception and lies and confusion. We ask, Lord, that you would, in this issue of assurance, bring each of us to clarity, to a Holy Spirit word confirmed conviction on this issue. Freedom from the opinions of men and traditionalism or even denominationalism, but that we would find the truth that is found in you, Christ Jesus, regarding this. We thank you for it. Holy Spirit, I yield myself to you. We are completely and utterly dependent upon you. Unless the Lord builds His people, we labor in vain. We ask you to build today. Establish secure and solid foundations. For this we give you praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Assurance is a hallmark of the Christian faith. I would like to present and put forth before you today that other worldviews do not offer such assurance. This is because other worldviews are man-centric. They're centered upon man, upon man's actions, upon man's good deeds, upon man's enlightenment. And if you know anything about mankind or if you know anything about yourself, you should be clear that we are not the same consistently. We are not the same yesterday, we're not the same today, and we're not going to be the same forever. Meaning if you live with a foundation and a worldview that is centered on or around you and what you do or don't do, then it will be shaky and inconsistent at best. One day you'll feel strong. So your world and your worldview will seem secure. But the next day, you'll find yourself in a valley of doubt, in a season of inconsistency. And confidence and assurance are as shaky as you are. 
So for the Christian faith, for the followers of Jesus Christ, I would say up front to you that assurance stands apart from other worldviews, from other ideologies and religions and humanistic thinking, secular thinking. You say, Pastor Chad, why does this matter today? Why does it matter when I'm facing battles? Battles in my health and battles in my family and battles in my career and my emotions. I'll tell you why it matters because until you settle, you are unsettled. Until you settle this issue, you are unsettled. You can have a settled home that you live in and yet your mind and soul be unsettled. Until you settle this issue, you will remain unsettled. Biblical revelation, referred to as scripture, puts forth a secure foundation, a sure standing, and a strong confidence are all available for the follower of Jesus Christ. Scripture puts forth that you can have a secure foundation. You can have a sure standing. You can have and experience a sure and strong confidence. However, like most things, just because things have been made available to us does not necessitate it is experienced. Have you ever found that to be so? That just because something is available doesn't mean that it is your experience. But it is the Heavenly Father's desire for me, for us, and for you today to live with the full assurance regarding our relationship with Him. We see this reflected in Scripture. Let me mention some to you. you. In Colossians 2 and verse 2, the Apostle Paul says that their hearts may be encouraged. In fact, in the NIV it says, My goal is that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, watch this, attaining to all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the knowledge of the mystery of God, both of the Father and of Christ. In Romans 4.16, Paul says, so that the promise might be sure and certain to all the seed, the people of faith. The Apostle John in 1 John 3.19 said, and by this we know that we are of the truth shall assure our hearts before Him. The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 6.11 says, and we desire that each of you, not just some of you, not just your spouse or your neighbor or your friend or the person in front of you, but we desire that each of you show the same diligence to the full assurance. Notice that. There is a full assurance of hope until the end. Lastly, Romans 8 and 16 The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Notice that Paul wanted believers to obtain the full assurance of understanding. Notice he said, obtain it. That means you're going to have to progress towards it. That means just because some of you, though you are a child of God, though you are born again, though you are a genuine follower of Jesus Christ and yet have not experienced a full assurance of faith, it doesn't mean that God doesn't have it for you. It just means you've not obtained it yet. Also notice that Paul said that what God has provided is so that we can be sure and certain about it. We can be settled in the matter that we, every season, don't have to keep wrestling with this issue, but we can get settled with it so that we can get that we can move on to other things in addition or belonging to our salvation. Notice the Holy Spirit witnesses to our spirit that we are God's child. The Apostle John said we can know experientially that we are of the truth, that we can know by experience that we have hearts fully assured, hearts set at rest, hearts at peace about the matter at hand. In these verses, we have some insight on how we are to move to the place of full assurance. It is going to start first from the inside out. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit. 
The Spirit doesn't bear witness first with our mind. He doesn't bear witness first with our body. He first bears witness with our spirit. It's going to start from the inside out. But then we're going to look at, because I'm going to do a part two to this message, how then the assurance is to be protected from the outside in. Some of you have had seasons and years of life where the assurance started from the inside out. But over time and through trials and through circumstances and situations of life, you've not learned how to guard it from the outside in, and doubt has begun to creep in. Anxiety has begun to try to be multiplied again. We're going to talk about this this month. It's going to start from the inside out. It's going to have to be guarded from the outside in, and that leads and results in experiencing a full assurance. Now this process of starting from the inside out and being guarded from the outside in is going to be correlated with how biblical salvation is presented. Now let me up front today ask this question. Have you ever wondered why there are so many views regarding being saved? It's not like we have ten different books that we're reading from. One gospel of God. One holy Bible. One scripture that contains all the revelation we need to live according to a godly life and the purpose that God has for us. Let me tell you that one reason is due to man's obsession with what we can see touch, handle, and outward things. We, by our human nature, have an obsession with focusing on outward things. This obsession with focusing on outward things is one of the main reasons so many different views of salvation have occurred. Because people begin to look and observe and to think about what they see and then they try to formulate or they try to get conclusions about what they are observing. Briefly just think the parable of the wheat and tares. The wheat and tares. That's called being obsessed with outward things. Secondly, another reason is there is a lack of understanding on biblical salvation. See, listen to me. When it comes to biblical salvation, there is what has been provided by God and what has been appropriated by man. I'll say it again. When we talk about this issue of assurance and salvation, there is what has been provided by God and what has been appropriated by man. For example, Jesus is not going to come to the earth again and die. He's not going to come to the earth again and shed His blood. So if God has provided some type of salvation for mankind, for myself, for us who are here today, for you personally, through the finished work of Jesus Christ, listen, then it is already provisionally available for all people. It's already there. Before I was born, it was already there. Before you were born, it was already there. However, we know from the clear teachings of Jesus and the apostles that all are not saved in the end. All don't receive what was provisionally made available. For instance, you think about in our country at times how lawsuits take place. And a court, and the judges have awarded thousands of people related to the case of financial recompense. And though the judge has already provisionally rewarded people financial recompense, there are many claims that never get claimed and received, though it's been awarded to individuals. Likewise, it's the same with salvation. God has already done a work through His Son, Jesus Christ. 
It's a finished work. And though God has already made provisions for mankind, not everybody receives and appropriates the provision that is available. It's sort of like some young kids when they come to the dinner table if our families still eat together ever in 2017 in America. My family does. I hope your family does. I hope if you're married that you eat with your spouse. I hope if you're single, you at times don't just eat alone. That would be depressing. That you at least call someone on the phone while you eat. Have a chat. Invite someone over. But it's like a kid coming to the family dinner table and the table spread out with the food. Now this isn't sexism, but in my house, the food that the mother has cooked. Because they ain't even showing up at the table if there's food that the father has cooked. They ain't even showing up. But the food's there. It's made available. But it's up to them if they want to receive and appropriate it or not. It's the same with salvation. It's like gift cards that have been purchased and gift cards that have been given to you. The provision has already been made available, but it's up to you if you're going to utilize and appropriate what's already been provided. Are you with me? Same thing in salvation. Meaning, listen, there is also an appropriation aspect regarding salvation. Salvation has been provided by God, but still must be appropriated and received by mankind. Sadly, many have never made it past those needed points in understanding biblical salvation. There's people that have been camped out and stuck there. Entire denominations and movements haven't moved past that. Next, when we talk about biblical salvation, we got to understand it regards the complete person. According to Moses, who records the book of Genesis, and according to Paul in 1 Thessalonians, mankind, that means you and I, have been created as a spirit, soul, who has a body. Let me show you this, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse 23. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So you individually, as a complete person, consist of, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So biblical salvation has been provided by God for our whole being, which consists of spirit, soul, and body. And biblical salvation that regards the complete person starts first, not from the outside in, but from the inside out. Meaning biblical salvation, when it is appropriated by you and I, or anyone, whoever desires, and when it's experienced, it starts with the spirit of man. Then, and only then, does it progress to the soul of man, and finally concludes with the body of man. Now let me make this point to you. It is extremely difficult to have a full assurance without experiencing a full salvation. It is very difficult to have a full assurance without appropriating and experiencing a full salvation. And when you have a salvation that begins, progresses, and concludes, then you get language about salvation that includes past tenses, present tense, and future tense. And when you have a salvation that begins, progresses, and concludes, that uses words to describe it that are past, present, and future, then you get a lot of untaught and unstable people distorting salvation, thus resulting in many views regarding salvation. Peter spoke about untaught and unstable people distorting it to their own demise. Now, before we move forward in this series about salvation, we've really got to clarify something up front. And what we have to clarify up front today, and this is where I have to, kicking off the series, be wise in doing this, is we have to, for a moment, look at what we need to be saved from. What good does it do to try to settle, settle the matter about salvation if we're not clear on what we need to be saved from? 
Let's look at this. In the Old Testament, you will see a major focus regarding salvation being Israel's desire to be saved from their enemies. When you look back to God's dealing with the nation of Israel, you will find what I mentioned in the, in the beginning of the message to be true. That mankind has a propensity to become obsessed just with outward things. Israel demonstrated this propensity to become obsessed just with being delivered from their outward enemies and outward circumstances. For instance, in Exodus 14 and 30, Scripture says, So the Lord saved Israel that day. What type of salvation was this? Watch this. Out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Notice the focus there. Salvation regarding deliverance from enemies. Let me show you another. Numbers 10 and verse 9. When you go to war in your land against the enemy who oppresses you, then you shall sound an alarm with the trumpets and you will be remembered before the Lord your God and you will be saved from your enemies. Notice the focus. Outward. Enemies. Here you see a nation, a people that God chose and brought unto Himself, that they were overlooking the full need. The full need of salvation. A salvation that even in Genesis 3, when it was shown in the type, when God promised a coming Savior who would deal with what sin and, and the enemy through the serpent had caused and created on the earth. Look at Deuteronomy 33 and 29. It says, Happy are you, O Israel, who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help and the sword of your majesty. Your enemies shall submit to you and you shall tread down their high places. Notice that. Be happy. Find your ha happiness in life, in a salvation that takes care of your outward circumstances, deals with your outward enemies. You see this time and time again. See, listen to me, the majority of Israel focused on salvation from God as being saved from their enemies. The issue with that is, even after they were delivered from their enemies, they were not created to be their own king. And they weren't created to depend on a physical king that they could see with their own eyes. Which is why you read in 1 Samuel 10, 19. But you have today rejected your God. How did Israel reject their God? Who himself saved you from all your adversaries and your tribulations. Again, outward focus salvation, enemies, tribulations, difficulties. How have they rejected him? Because you said to him, no, set a king over us like the other nations. Now therefore present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and by your clans. Is this not the same today? That a lot of people get interested in salvation because they are focused on outward circumstances and they want a salvation that it will just save them from the enemies that they call like poverty or an enemy they call like rejection from people around them. They want just a salvation to fix problems and circumstances and that which they call enemies of their life. We're no different in 2017 than the propensity that we see in the nation of Israel. But you see a man named David. You know one of the reasons David was said to be a man after God's own heart, is that though he was king, physical king over the nation of Israel, he recognized a salvation needed deeper than just from his physical enemies, but a salvation for his transgressions, a, a salvation from his wrongs against God and fellow humans. You read about it in Psalms 51 and throughout his Psalms as recorded in Scripture. Also, you have the prophets in this time where Israel's focus is on outward deliverance, outward salvation. You have the prophets coming in and trying to get them to see the matter holistically. The prophets continue to declare to Israel that they had an enemy they were overlooking. They had an enemy that they were not concerned about. They had an enemy called sin. They had an enemy called their heart of stone. They had an enemy which was a desire to live independent of God, their true king. 
Jeremiah 4.14, you see this. Here comes the prophet in the midst of the context we're talking about. He says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. Here's a deeper salvation. Here's a salvation that's not just focused on outside in, but it's focused on something happening from the inside out. That you may be saved, how long shall your evil thoughts lodge within you? There is a salvation needed of the heart. There is a salvation needed from the deliverance of evil thoughts and evil propensities of our thoughts and the inclinations of our heart and the imaginations of man, the imaginations that take place within us. Jeremiah the prophet in 23.6 says, Listen, there's coming a day that Judah will be saved. But this salvation is deeper than just a physical salvation. Yes, they will dwell safely, but this is his name. This is the one who will save them by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The law, the prophets, and the Psalms look forward to a day that God would provide himself a special king. Not just a king that would deliver from physical enemies and physical circumstances and physical tribulations, but a special king who would be a savior who would also be our righteousness. Our right to have a relationship with our creator. Our right to be the righteousness of God upon the earth. Ezekiel 36, 26, another prophet said to them that there's coming a day where God will give you a new heart and a new spirit. This, of course, were all prophecies concerning and related to Jesus Christ. Now listen to me. When Jesus arrived on the earth, stay with me, we're on a journey. When Jesus arrived on the earth, the majority of the nation of Israel was only looking for a Savior. But a Savior that would deliver them from their physical enemies who at that time happened to be Rome. But Jesus during his days on the earth taught that there was more to understand about the kingdom of God. A lot more. He said there would be people that would try to enter through the Broadway, but the door of salvation would not be open for them. And he would tell them, I never knew you, you worker of iniquity, Luke 13. Jesus said that there's many who want to enter my kingdom, but they're going to go in a Broadway, not the only way, and yet they won't be able to enter. Now Jesus said my kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. So related to entering the kingdom of God and living under the rule of God is an eternity being in the presence of God or an eternity being cast out and separated from God your creator. Meaning Jesus said iniquity was an issue related to being able to enter the kingdom of God. Sin was an issue related to be able to enter the kingdom of God. It was not just physical enemies they needed deliverance from, but sin. This is why in Mark 9, Jesus said that the confrontation of sin should be very, 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 very laser focused for our life. In fact, he said sin should be cut off of our, of our life in order to enter the kingdom of God. Cut off. That we need to be not just saved from our enemies, but we need also to be saved from our sin. We need it cut out. We need it cut off of our life. This is why in John 3.17, Jesus said, For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. What was Jesus saying? The world's already condemned. There's already an enemy called death, whether they're overlooking it or not. Notice Jesus said we needed to be saved from condemnation. Well, listen. You don't get condemnation unless there's sin because sin condemns. So in that, he's saying we need a deliverance, we need a salvation that will save us from sin, thus saving us from condemnation and condemn men and women. You know what they're condemned to? Death. So we need a salvation that will save us from the sentence to die. And what kind of death did Jesus say? Was it a temporary kingdom, a temporary separation? No, he called it eternal life or eternal death. So we need a salvation that will save us from being eternally separated from God. We need a salvation that will separate us from death, from condemnation, which means we need a salvation that saves us from sin because the wages of sin is death. You remember there was a rich young ruler. He comes to Jesus. He says, I want to know how to enter the kingdom of God and I want to know how to enter eternal life. Now this is very important because he equates the kingdom of God as the same as eternal life. 
To enter the kingdom means to be able to live eternally in the presence of God, the one who created us for a relationship and for us to live in and through His presence. You know what Jesus told him? He said, you you need to be a person who has no sin then. Do you want to enter the kingdom of God? Do you want to have eternal life and live forever? Then you must have no sin. His sin was that he trusted and put riches before God. Meaning, Jesus says it's got to be dealt with. Sin's got to be dealt with if we're going to enter the kingdom. Dr. Luke, when he recounted what took place on the day of Pentecost and Peter's preaching, in Acts 2.40 says, And Peter, with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Watch this, be saved from this perverse generation. Paul put it this way in Galatians 1.14. He says, We need to be saved from the present evil age. We don't just need to be saved from eternal separation from God, which means we need to be saved from death, which means we need to be saved from condemnation, which means we need to be saved from sin, but we also need to be saved from this present evil age. Present society and culture that is on a course against God. Scripture calls it like a flood of ungodliness. It opposes God and it suppresses His truth, which means we need to be saved from the wrath to come. Look at Romans 5 and verse 9. Much more then, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. Notice there is a wrath coming. So what do we need to be saved from? We need to be saved from everlasting punishment and fire. Jude speaks about it. Says that there's examples given in Scripture that there's everlasting punishment. That everlasting punishment is represented in Scripture as fire. Jesus spoke of fire. Revelation speaks of fire. Jude speaks of fire. The eternal condemnation and separation from God is presented not as a positive thing. It's presented as a horrible thing. We need to be saved from this eternal separation, which means we need to be saved from the wrath to come because the wrath to come is against the world that is set against God and those that are following in the flood and the course of this world in rebellion against God. But if we need to be saved from the wrath to come, that means we need to be saved from the present evil age that is causing the wrath to come. And if we need to be saved from the present evil age and the present kingdom, that means we do need to be saved from our enemies because there is another kingdom that is against the kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Here's the difference. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. Uh, Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but principalities and powers against rulers of the darkness of this age against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. We do need to be delivered from our enemies, but we're talking about spiritual enemies. We also need to be saved from death because the Bible says death is the last enemy. (laughs) And if we need to be saved from death, that means we must be saved from condemnation. Because if you're saved from death but not saved from condemnation, you're not really saved from death because everyone who's condemned is condemned to die. Well, why do? what are we condemned for? For our sins. So we not only just need to be saved from death and saved from condemnation, we need to be saved from our acts of sin, for our specific sins, lying, cheating, sexual immorality, cursing, idolatry, drunkenness, escapism. We need to be saved from our acts of sin. But listen, if we need to be saved from our acts of sin, then we must be saved from our state of sin. Because the Bible says we're not just committing sins, we're committing sins because we're in a state of sin. We are dead in our trespasses. We're separated from God who is life. But if we're going to be, we're going to need to be saved from our state and our position of sin, you know what that means? then we must be saved from our nature of sin. This is what we need to be saved from. We can't just start from the outside and work in, which is where the gospel that most people preach and teach and most of you heard starts. You need to be saved from hell. But why do I need to be saved from hell? 
It's got to get all the way to the understanding that you need to be saved from hell, meaning you need to be saved from your sin nature. Because your sin nature is what leads to the full expression of God's need to have eternal separation for people who refuse to appropriate what He's provided, which is an act of His love. Because if God has children that He's made in His image who desire righteousness and justice and peace on the earth, all that is God, godly, well, He can't have people who continue to offend who continue to love darkness more than the light, like Jesus said in John 3. He can't have them to coexist. Like what a logical infallacy are those bumper stickers. It's not possible. You can't have God-haters and God-lovers coexist for eternity and there be true righteousness and peace and truth. It's not possible. It's a logical fallacy. So that's what we need to be saved from. We need to be saved from our nature of sin, our state of sin, our sins, our sins that result in condemnation. Our condemnation results in death. Death is part of our enemy. We need to be saved from our spiritual identities, from this present evil kingdom and age, the wrath to come, and everlasting punishment that is referred to as separation from our loving God. This is why, listen to me, Matthew 3 and verse 10. And now, someone say now. Come on, say it again. Now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. When the kingdom began to be preached by John the Baptist after over 400 years of silence and the prophetic voice of God had not spoken through any prophet or anyone that he sent, out of the silent years, a man in the desert anointed and raised up by God begins to preach and he starts preaching, preaching the axe is laid to the root of the tree. That there is a kingdom and a salvation that's available, but it's not from the outside in. It's from the inside out. It's not a salvation that first starts once to pick the fruit. Focus on the fruit. That's what we like to do. Well, those people, they need to be saved from that sin. And that sin's different than our act of sin. But these over here need to be saved from this sin. No, no, no. The axe is laid to the root of the tree. Meaning, if you focus on fruit first, you get outside focus first, meaning you get religion. Religion says, I don't care about the root and what you really need to be saved from. I just want you to conform outwardly to expectations. But you can conform outwardly to expectations and still be dead inwardly. That's a man-centric worldview. It's the mantra of the culture we live in, an evil culture. A culture that demands, demands people accept certain sins and fruit is okay and demands a conformity to what they believe is a morality, but it's a morality centered upon their own subjectivity and opinions. Very self-righteous. And it's very hypocritical because it's a choosing. Listen to me. If it's a salvation of the root first, then it's a salvation that starts from the inside first. What does this mean for you and I? It means this practically. It means salvation starts with our spirit. That's why Paul said today's the day of salvation because there is an ox that has been laid and it's laid to the root of any tree in any life. I'm not concerned today of how much fruit of sin showed up in your life. I'm not concerned of how long you've walked in it, acted in it, desired it, demonstrated it, taught others in it, mentored others in sin. What I'm concerned with today is that there's an axe that's laid to the root of the tree that can get to the very root of your problem, my problem, the problem in America and the problem in the nations. There is a kingdom that's got an axe to get to the very, really heart of the problem. Stop the Facebook posts. Stop the memes. Stop talking about all the fruit that is the result of the root of the problem. The root of the problem is the only hope of the nations is the axe of Jesus Christ that can go to the very heart of the problem, the heart of you and I. There is a salvation, but it's a salvation that goes and starts from the inside out. 
the inside out. Scripture calls it our inner man. It's amazing how much focus on the outward is. I remember there was a season I was fasting in a long fast. And when you're in a long fast, I mean, great, it's a great thing. You become so spiritually and eternally mindful of what you can't see. And I remember in this fast, it just so hit me in this state of just walking in, in the spirit and walking in the reality of our identity in Christ of watching fellow humans and how much focus of our time, money, Everything, our business, all that is focused on outward things. Bodily things. And the enemy uses that. It's not that those things are wrong. Like I don't want my wife to have like a jacked up haircut. You know what I'm saying? Like I'd like her hair to look nice. But the thing is how the enemy seeks to pervert even something that's okay to distract us from the real root of the problem of humanity. That changing outward things is not going to fix all the things that need to be fixed. It's going to the root of the problem. And the root of the problem is we need to receive Christ inside our life. You need to receive Christ inside your life as your salvation. As your life. This brings us back to our original verse, Romans 8 and 16. Here we go. Now we're going to land the plane. The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. The first thing you need to see from this verse is the Spirit Himself witnesses that we are children of God. The Spirit Himself. That's a way of saying only the Spirit gives this witness. Your parents can't give this witness. Your grandparents' prayers can't give this witness. Your neighbor can't give you this witness. Your preacher can't give you this witness. Your pastor, your mentor, your friend, your connect group leader can't give you this witness. This is a witness that the Holy Spirit Himself witnesses to. He Himself. You know what that means? It means He don't need help. The Spirit Himself bears the witness. Meaning, this witness, the Holy Spirit's witness, is the foundation for the evidence. That the foundation for the evidence we're children of God, listen, is solely and completely in and of the Spirit, not of ourselves. The Spirit Himself bears witness. It's not us ourselves bearing witness that we're children of God. The foundation and the evidence that we're children of God rests completely and solely upon the witness of God's Spirit. That's a good thing. Because if any of it rests upon you as the foundation of it, it's as stable as you are. And we all know, because I don't think there's any self-righteous person in here, I know most of you, we all know what that means. It means it would be unstable. Right? Let me just put it this way. How about moody? Does that, that connect with you? As moody as your emotions? <laughs> it would be that unstable. Now listen to me. Next, we see from this verse, the Spirit is called the Spirit of truth by Scripture. The Spirit who bears the witness Himself is called the Spirit of truth. You know why? Because it's impossible for God to lie, Hebrews 6. The Spirit of truth Himself bears witness because it's impossible Him to lie. Meaning the Holy Spirit can only witness to that which is true. It's impossible for the Spirit of God to witness that, to something that is not true. So this brings us to number one. The Spirit bears witness to His work of regeneration. The reason He bears witness is because He can only witness what is true. And he witnesses to the work that he knows he's accomplished on the inside of you and I who are born again. Regeneration, as spoken in Titus 2, 4 through 7, takes place at our spirit salvation. Paul in Romans 2, 28 and 29 called it an inward circumcision. Not a physical, but an inward cutting away. What did Jesus say needed to be cut away? Sin. A heart at self-will wanting to be our own king and God. This is not an outward turning over the new leaf that you hear preached a lot. I had a bad year, but I'm going to turn over a new leaf. No, you're not. You're just going to have different fruit. Maybe more acceptable fruit by culture, but the same root. That's why Jesus told Nicodemus, who was seeking 
You must be born again. It's not an option. It's not up for question. It's not up for debate. You must be born again. Paul put it this way. You've got to become a new creation in your spirit. So here's the point of this. Don't, if you're a babe in Christ, you had the inward circumcision, you've been regenerated, you've been born again, you're a new creation in Christ, here's what it looks like early for you as a babe in Christ. Don't let the outward blind you from the inward when you are a babe in Christ. Don't let the outward state of where you're at, your immaturity, you're not understanding how all this works, you're not knowing how to trust Jesus for life circumstances and stresses, don't let the outward right now in your season blind you from the inward. That is weed and tares. Weed and tares in the beginning can look a lot alike, but they're nothing alike. There's a new nature. There's been a change. The acts of God's love and cross has went to the root of the problem. This leads us to number two. There is no assurance outside of God. There is no assurance outside of God. You cannot find assurance that is not rooted in God and in Himself. That's why the Spirit Himself bears witness. The whole root of even reaching full assurance finds itself rooted in God and no other. Read it in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that means to be declared innocent, no longer guilty, by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Here's the point. Notice this. There is a peace with God, but it's only through the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not through Jesus and you. It's not through Jesus and your effort. The peace that's available with God is only through Jesus Christ. Right standing is only through Jesus Christ. It's not right standing through Jesus and you. Now, he says, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we have access into this realm and sphere, this kingdom of grace, in which we stand only through Jesus Christ. So here is my encouragement to you. So place your assurance inside of God's work through Jesus Christ. Don't place your assurance outside on your work through what man calls good. Place your assurance inside of God's finished work through Jesus Christ. Number three, assurance is consistently experienced as we look away from ourselves and look to God's provision in Jesus Christ. Do you want to consistently be aware of the witness? Do you want to consistently experience the witness in your spirit that you're a child of God? Then listen, you're going to have to have your mind renewed where you look away from yourself and you look to God's provision in Jesus Christ. In the Old Testament, Paul says that everything that God did in the Old Testament was an example for us who live now under the new covenant. One of the things you find in the history of the nation of Israel is that after God brought Israel out of Egypt, there comes this point when they're in the desert where they are complaining against God and, and God's leadership. As they complain, fiery serpents. That's a way to say to us in Georgia, some rattlesnakes. Some poisonous serpents came and began to bite people in the community. People are dying. People are complaining, sinning against God. God speaks to Moses. He says, here's what you do. He says, I want you to make on a bronze pole, a snake. And anyone when they're bit by sin or even the sins of others and, and the effects of other people's complaining affects them, all they have to do is look to the serpent upon the pole. And whoever looks after they're bit lives. Listen, if you look, you live. See, this is an example in the New Testament. We've all been bit by sin. We've all been bit and affected by the sins of others. But Jesus Christ hung on a pole called a cross. And He became 
the guilt, the condemnation, the separation. That's why he said, Eli, Eli, my Sabathani, my God, my God, why has y'all forsaken me? He became the separation. He took the condemnation. He took the sting of death. He became our sins. He took the very nature of sin so that whoever would look upon him could live. If you look, you live. What this means is to experience assurance consistently, it's got to be Christ-centric, not self-centric. If you keep looking to yourself for the witness, you're not going to find the witness. Even if you think you have a witness of security and confidence, it's going to be a false witness. Because assurance and the witness that comes from only God Himself comes only you look to Christ upon the cross. Remember John the Baptist? You know what he said? He didn't say, behold yourself. Behold how good you are now. Behold the change in your life. No, you know where he said to start? you got to behold the Lamb. You behold the Lamb, you'll live. Just keep looking to the Lamb. Now here's the question. How did they know to look to the serpent upon the pole? How did they know? Because a message was preached to them by Moses. Listen to me. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1.21. For since in the wisdom of God, watch this, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign, Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. We preach the man upon the cross. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. Here's a way to say it. He's saying to many people, they're asking for an outward sign. God, if you bless my business, then I know I'm your child. God, if you do this, then I know I'm your child. That's not the gospel we preach. We preach if you want to have full assurance, you want to have a sure standing, you want to have a foundation that's stronger and more secure than your emotions and your circumstances and the events and the trials of your life, then you have to behold the Lamb and look to Christ and Him crucified. It's Christ-centric, centered on Christ and around Christ, not man-centered. Listen, to look is a picture of what repentance, trust, faith, and believing entails. And people know to look when the message is preached. Behold the Lamb. Behold the Lamb. This leads us to number four. Assurance is strengthened in the consistent teaching of Scripture about the gospel. Did you know from start to finish, when it comes to the gospel, the gospel of how to be right with God, how in the gospel of God He was going to make a way for the real enemy, the real root of the problem to be dealt with, that from Genesis to Revelation, there's a consistent teaching, whether it's the Old Covenant and the New Covenant, that the way that God would make mankind right with Him would be Him becoming the way through His Son, Jesus Christ. That's why Paul in Galatians 3, 5-9 said the gospel was preached beforehand to Abraham. Before the law of Moses, God preached the same gospel that you and I now hear. Then Paul in Colossians 1, 3-8 says, Now afterward the gospel has been preached to us. And in between the beforehand to Abraham and the afterward to us, you have all kinds of types and shadows in the law and the prophets that were prophecies. That it was going to be by looking to God and the one crucified on that cross. God cannot lie. And you have a consistent teaching from start to finish that God would have to provide a Savior. Woman, don't have seed. God would have to provide that Savior. Adam and Eve couldn't cover themselves with their own sowing, with their own striving, with their own fig leaves. They needed God to cover them. Do you know that's why it's called the will of God? I'm to the point in life where i got to get a will together, which is where I'm at in God's wisdom and planning. You know why it's called a will? You know why the will of God's called a will? It's like a person getting their will ready. 
It's the will and testament of God. Meaning it's God's desire and intent regarding what to do with His provisions provided through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's impossible for God to lie. Number five. Assurance is based upon the fact of Christ's resurrection. Paul in Romans 1, 1-5 said a declaration has been, been made. Not an opinion. Not a debate. A declaration. A demonstration that has vindicated Jesus Christ. That through the power of the resurrection, God has declared that He's the one you got to behold. He's the one you got to look to, trust in, receive as King and the only way. He's the only provision of God's acts to go to the root of my problem and your problem. The resurrection is where we find our assurance based upon. It's a vindication of Jesus' identity that He was God's Son. It's a vindication of His character that He was holy, sinless, undefiled, separate and distinct from sinners like you and I. It's a vindication of His teachings that there's nothing He said that was untrue. That He said that He would like be like Jonah and He would be on the heart in the heart of the earth three days and three nights but there was coming a, a resurrection morning. Because if anything he said was untrue, that would make him a sinner. A sinner deserving death. But he was able to experience victory over death because he never sinned. He took our sin upon the cross. The resurrection is a declaration of his victory. When I think about me in conclusion personally, when I think about gospel, when I think about assurance, and I think about today's the day of salvation, I think about having a sure foundation, I, here's what I say to myself. I will that. And I believe that. You say, what do you mean? Oh, I will to be saved from an eternity separated from my God and Creator. But I don't just will to be saved from separation from God and His eternal kingdom. But I will to be saved from the wrath to come. But I not only will to be saved from the wrath to come, but I will to be saved from the present evil age, from the sins of our culture, from the sins of the world around us that seek to conform us. I want to be saved from those sins, saved from those mentalities. I want to be like a light that shines out in the midst of darkness and the corruption and any Christ culture. I want to be saved from that participation and fellowship of darkness. I don't want to just be saved from the wrath to come. I want to be saved from the flood of field today. And I don't want to just be saved from the flood of filth today. I want to be saved from my spiritual enemies, the enemy of my soul, the enemy that comes to lie to me to try to steal my inheritance and eating the full buffet of God. I want to be saved from the death to come, from the condemnation because of my sins. I want to be saved from every act of sin. I want to be saved from the inclination of sin. I will to be saved from the participation of wrong attitudes and wrong desires and wrong words. I don't want to just be saved from an eternity separated from God. I want to be saved from my own sins, my own evil actions and attitudes and inclinations and desires of my heart. But I don't want to just be saved from my own sins. I want to be saved from a state of sin. I don't want to be in a state that is opposed to God. I want to be in the realm of His kingdom. I want to be in right standing with Him. I want to fellowship with Him. I want to get to know my Creator. Get to know my Father. I want to hear His heartbeat being formed in my heartbeat. I want to see with His eyes. Hear with His ears. I want to be moved with His compassion. But I don't just want to be saved from a state of sin. I want to be saved from my nature of sin. I want the very root of my being to say, Yes, Lord. I want the very root of my being to say, Not my will, but Your will. I want the very root of my being to say, I'm not the potter, you're the potter, and I'm the clay. I want the very nature of my life to long for righteousness, true righteousness, and holiness. When I think about the gospel and assurance, I will that, and then I believe that. Believe what? I believe the message that God had Jesus Christ crucified for me. I believe that I could never make my own righteousness. I could never go to the root of my problem. I could never clean up my own life good enough. I could never 
bridge the gap between me and my creator I not just will that but I believe that believe what the message that Christ crucified but he rose victorious and he offers life to you today he's got an axe that is filled with love filled with mercy filled with compassion and a judgment needed to cut your whole old life away and to impart Christ as your life to give you a new heart to give you a new life to give you a new nature. Can I hear someone say, I will that and I believe that. Let's stand to our feet. Let's begin to lift our voices to God. Let's begin to worship Him and exalt Him and look away from ourselves and behold the Lamb because assurance is only found in God and His Christ alone. That's what worship does when we sing in worship. Stop looking to yourself for the witness. The Spirit Himself bears witness. Go ahead and lift your voices up. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.